you, Father, we come before you again this morning, on this Sunday morning, a time that we've dedicated to your worship. Lord, we ask that you would help each one of us in this room this morning to understand that in the singing of the songs, Lord, in the special music, in the preaching, in the invitation, in the offering, in everything that is done here this morning, we want to worship you. We ask that our worship would be acceptable. Lord, that you would be pleased to receive our singing. And Lord, that your word would be simply put forth. And when we leave here, that we would have had made decisions based upon the word of God that will alter the way we live through the coming of the week, that you may receive honor and glory from our lives. Lord, we ask that we would not just use the word worship, but we would live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And the rest of us, let's take our Bibles. Our theme this year has been faith. The just shall live by, what's the next word? The banner's down. His faith. Amen. Out of Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith is quoted three other, uh, two other places in the Bible. But in Habakkuk, it's the just shall live by his faith. And how does faith come? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And of course, that's why we preach and teach the Bible in every service. We go through the stories of the Bible so that we'll be familiar with them. And uh, what I'd like to do uh, this morning and, and next Sunday morning is preach on faith in the Christmas story. And then, of course, Christmas is on a Sunday this year. And so we'll be having our morning service at 1030 and it will go right into uh, the other service. I'll, I'll do my best to maybe not preach quite as long, but we'll see how that works. It, uh, I've often said I'll preach a short sermon. It still comes out long anyway. But uh, uh, the, uh, And then we won't have a Sunday night service. So you'll have uh, plenty of time that day for family and things. And if someone says, well, we only meet at 11 o'clock. Well, uh, just say, hey. Christmas is on Sunday, only once every seven years. I'm going to do God first. And, and I was thinking about that as we were passing out the Christmas tracts yesterday. Uh, different people had all kinds of different responses, of course. Uh, and yet, Christmas is the story of Jesus. It is the Bible, the whole... Uh, you can say what you want, but uh, the whole reason for the holiday season is this book called the Bible, and don't be ashamed of that, amen? And, uh, and so, we're, what I'd like for us to do is pick up the outside figures of the central story. Of course, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday we'll deal with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, those that were there on the very night, and then Christmas Sunday uh, we've got some special things uh, in store and, and uh, want to make that a, a very special service. So encourage you to be here for Christmas Sunday. But where I would like for us to start is at, at the beginning. Luke, he was not one of the disciples. He's, only, he's the only one who wrote the gospel who wasn't one of the disciples that personally traveled with Jesus. And, and Luke was a researcher. He had carefully talked and compared and put the notes together. And so what we get from Luke is a little different perspective on the story. And he starts the story with Zechariah and Elizabeth. In verse 5 it says, There was in the days of Herod the king of Judah a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abia and his wife of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Bible, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both, and they both were now well stricken in years. 
And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God, in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now we're going to stop right there and just pick up a little bit of background here. Zechariah was a priest. Uh, now, in order to be a priest, you had to be one of the sons of Aaron. In order to be the high priest, you had to be a direct uh, descendant. Zechariah wasn't uh, a uh, a direct descendant. He was not in line for the high priest. He was of the course of Abia, which was the last of the 24 courses. They would serve for a period of about uh, two weeks. Uh, a, two different courses would make up each of the 12 months of the year. And it says that his lot was to offer incense. Now, in order to understand this, uh, you would realize that this privilege would come to Zechariah once, maybe two times in a lifetime. There, there were so many priests that you had to wait your order and everyone got a turn and, and, and these things. And so this was not a, a normal occurrence. And what we're looking for is we're looking for faith here. Now, Zechariah was an old man at this time. It says, well stricken in years. And his wife was of the same, and she was one of the daughters of Aaron. And so, uh, Zechariah would have as much prestige. He would be in as high a position as he possibly could be. But verse 6 tells us what God thought of them. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Now, that says a lot. Now, how many of you remember who the king was we read in verse 5? This guy named Herod. Uh, Herod was one of the most wicked men that ever lived. He was a ruthless dictator. He had actually forced himself upon uh, into the family of the Hasmoneans or the Maccabees, as they were called. They were the priestly family. And, and actually, Herod was trying to put him in a self in a position <coughs> where he could claim to be the Messiah of the Jews, being a priest and a king at the same time. And, of course, you can have a whole glass of nice clean water and just a little bit of dirt will make me pour it out. Now, Herod was a wicked, conniving. Uh, he was just he was just after power and position is all he was. And he was the king. Well, guess that the priest, Herod, was now quote-unquote, part of the family. They would never let him serve as a priest. But his wife was one of the members of the family. He had put himself in that position. And so things were actually improving a little bit economically and socially for the Jewish people. They were given a, a measure of freedom from the Roman domination here. Herod had done some great things. And Herod had been building the temple in Jerusalem. It was actually considered one of the great wonders of the ancient world was the Jewish temple. People would travel from all over. And if you remember the traditions and the laws of God that no one but a Jewish man could get into the court of men where the sacrifices were offered, people would come and just stare at the temple and its complex from the court of the Gentiles, which was uh, quite removed from the temple itself. They had taken the temple that Zerubbabel had built in the book of Ezra and literally built right up over top of it. They had been 40 when Jesus was um, uh, uh, walking. They had been building the temple 46 years. History tells us that they didn't finish the temple until the late 60s A.D., 
It only stood a few years before Titus's army would tear it completely down to the foundations. And so all of these things were going on. But very little of it had to do with God. The priest, when you see the term Sadducees in the Bible, that, that was the uh, classification of the priest. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in anything supernatural. They just had a job to do, offer sacrifices. That's, that was their job. And, and the, the days in which they lived, it had been 400 years since the prophet Malachi had spoken, thus saith the Lord. And if you read Malachi's message, it, it was not a very kind message. Uh, it was very uh, full of condemnation of the practices of the children of Israel. And yet he said, I'm going to send my messenger. And he's going to turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And in this time, 400 years, Think about what New York was like 400 years ago. The year 16, what would that be? 1616, right? Nothing but Indians. And not very many of them. 400 years. Wouldn't it make you want to give up hope? Wouldn't it make you want to just forget about it? But I want you to understand something. Zechariah and Elizabeth did not allow all of the unbelief, all of the paganism, all of the social gospel, we might say, if we use a modern day term, uh, everything there, they still hoped in God and still lived according to the rules that were in the Bible. And the Lord said that they were blameless. Now, you, you follow that phrase through the Bible. It's not used very often of very many people. And, and so, Zechariah and Elizabeth were living a life of faith. And now they were old. And without a son, there would be no one to carry on Zechariah's name in the priesthood. In those days, it, it's hard for us to grasp this thing because... We really don't get it, but because we pedigree dogs, but we don't pedigree humans anymore. But in 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 this day, Zechariah could trace his family history back all the way to Aaron. How many generations had that had to be? I mean. Most, most people can go back two or three generations, four or five in some cases, but to go back 25 generations or 30 generations, as Matthew gives the uh, accounting of Jesus' generation all the way back to Abraham, it's, it's uh, 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 several different sets of 14. And, and so here we have... A man that lived for God. And yet, it was his custom to burn incense. It was his lot. This would have only happened, as we said, once in a lifetime. uh, Possibly twice. In verse 10, And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And if you've been here when we've taught through the tabernacle and all the pictures and, and the relationships there is... These are not things that I made up. The golden altar of incense is a picture of prayer. The people understood that. They were praying at the time that he would offer the incense on the altar. And so Zechariah goes in there and he is offering that incense on the golden altar that sat directly before the veil. And there appeared unto him, verse 11, and there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, you have to understand that when the priest ministered in the tabernacle and then later in the temple, he was do so alone. There was not a whole group of people in there. Uh, he was to, and, and the penalty for disobeying God's law was death. 
How many of you remember what happened to Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron? They, they were consumed by fire in their priestly garments. And uh, the king, uh, Uzziah, who went in, it said the leprosy sprang out in his forehead and he hadn't even touched the altar. He was just trying to get into the temple to do that. And so here Zechariah is and he's in there putting the incense on the coals on that golden altar there. And the smoke is beginning to rise and there's a man standing in the air right beside the altar. No TV effects, no, no uh, uh, strings attached. Wouldn't that be slightly terrifying? And then it says, and when Zechariah saw him, verse 12, he was troubled and fear fell on him. Verse 13, but the angel said unto him, fear not, Zechariah. Now, what does that next phrase say? Look at that. Read it very carefully with me. For thy prayer is heard. Let's try that again. For thy prayer is heard. Now, thy is a personal pronoun that denotes ownership. He said, Zacharias, your prayer has been heard. Zacharias had brought in the incense representing the uh, sacrifice of the children of Israel, the prayers of the children of Israel. The multitude was praying out there. Zacharias was, of course, praying for his people, praying for freedom from Rome, praying for the Messiah to come, many of these other things. But he had his own prayer that he was bringing with him. He was old. His wife was old. He had no son to carry on his name. He could trace his family back 25 generations, but he couldn't trace it forward because there was no one there. And he was praying. You talk about faith. How's that for faith? Now, God would answer his prayer, but not in the way that Zechariah might have wished for and hoped for. But actually in a far greater way than Zechariah could have ever thought. He would not have a son that would carry on the priesthood. Because Zechariah's son would never serve as a priest. But he had a job. He was the forerunner. He was the herald. He was the announcer of the coming Messiah. Jesus himself said, of those born among women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. Save he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Because John never got to experience what you and I do today, which is salvation by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus. John never saw that. He died before Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross and rose again. And so we have hope in the goodness of God and a prayer and a faith to keep asking and asking even when there was nothing that would make sense to keep asking. He just did. And God said, Now... I'm going to answer your prayer. And someone said, uh, do you believe there were Baptists in the, in the New Testament days? Well, Zechariah came awful close. He, he was a Jewish priest. After God told him, your prayer is going to be answered, your wife's going to have a son, uh, everything that you've prayed for is going to be given to you, he says, I don't believe you. Uh, how many of you have ever had that happen? God's answered prayer and you say, I, I, I'm not sure I, I, I understand this. And uh, that's where Zechariah was. And, and, and he said, how shall I know? And, Zechariah, and the angel, verse 19, answering, said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. Behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. And so we have a man that believed enough to keep praying and keep praying and keep praying 
And when God answered his prayer, he said, I don't believe it. Sounds pretty human to me now, doesn't it? But you see, the reason the Bible puts these details in is to help us understand something. It wasn't Zacharias' faith that did the work. It was God that did the work. But see, God wouldn't have used Zacharias and Elizabeth except they were faithful in their living all of those years. When everybody else and everything else was headed the wrong direction, they just kept serving God. When everyone else had given up hope, he kept praying. God said, that's my man. I'm going to use him. And when God answered his prayer, he said, how, how can I know that this is happening? And uh, verse 22, it says, And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And the, they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months. Now, imagine being Elizabeth. And here you are, you've given up all hope of ever having a child, and all of a sudden, things start happening that you'd heard about, but never happened to you. And she hid herself five months. I want to make sure that this thing is happening. Elizabeth uh, was... No greater faith than Zacharias, but she had lived and obeyed. And finally, the the babe was, was developing. And the song that uh, they sang this morning was Elizabeth's Ode to Joy. As you, you'll read about it here in the, in the Bible... That uh, when Mary uh, entered the womb, it, it entered here, I'm sorry, verse 39, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. From whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come unto me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be in a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And so now we get down to verse 57. It says, Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her son, and her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy on her, and they rejoiced with her. This was a momentous birth. Everybody that was anybody came and said, We want you to... Uh, we want to celebrate with you. We want to have this joy. God has given you a son. It comes the eighth day. They're going to officially name the child and all of the things with the law to to uh, register him and, and these things. And they wanted to call him Zacharias. And she said, no, his name's going to be called John. And he said, where in the world did you get that name? And, and Zacharias is just sitting there. He can't say a word. And they make motions to him, and he writes, his name is John. And finally, he gets to talk after over nine months of silence. I'll tell you what. But when he opened his mouth, the Bible says that he spake, being filled with the Holy Ghost. Verse 68, and let's just read this. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, 
that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us, and that, uh, that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercies of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the Bible tells us, And the child grew and waxed strong in the spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. How much faith did Zacharias have? That when his son began to grow up, that he refused the training of the priesthood. That he would not follow in the footsteps of his father. That he would not fulfill that which Zacharias had prayed for. But see, Zacharias knew that he had a calling. He had a job, a special prophecy. The, the, the 400 years of silence had been broken And now God was once again giving direct revelation to his people. You see, Zechariah did a lot of waiting. A whole lifetime of waiting. For a son to be born in his old age and then to do something totally different from anything that he had ever expected. But he just obeyed the words of God. That's what faith is. Amen? It's faith to do right when no one is looking. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 2 and pick up another very unusual group here. Uh, So much has been said about the wise men. And uh, no one wasn't from Africa and India and China. Um, It says they were from the east. And so we come down through here, the books uh, of, of the generations, uh, of, uh, and then we get down here to chapter 2 and verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now, these wise men show up in Jerusalem. And, of course, the picture is three wise men, for there were three gifts and, and, and all of that. But, and I try to illustrate this, that when they showed up, they got an audience with Herod the king. Now, if three guys walked into New York City and said, we want to meet the mayor, would they get a chance to meet the mayor? No, if they were too persistent, they'd get a chance to meet uh, uh, NYPD, uh, probably be taken to jail or something like that. But to have three guys come to Jerusalem and get an audience with the king... That wasn't it. There, there was an entourage here. This, there was some pomp and circumstance. These guys had some credentials. They were like visiting emissaries. The whole city took notice. The king changed his schedule so that he could meet with these guys. And then when he heard their message, it says that Herod was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And so he asked them when, the, verse 4, this is Herod, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. 
Herod was not ignorant of the prophecies. Every Jewish person believed that Messiah was coming. Here show the, these guys show up. And so Herod calls a council and he was not nice. It says he demanded of them. He said, I want you to tell me where Christ is going to be born, where your Messiah is going to be born. And, and uh, the, they had the answer. Verse 6, they're quoting Micah the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, Herod got all the information that he could. He, he was very kind. He privily asked the wise men when the star had appeared. He demanded of the Jews where the Christ was to be born. And then he sent the wise men to Bethlehem saying, You find him so I can come and worship him also. Of course, Herod had another idea than actual worship. Uh, The only person that Herod worshipped was Herod. And uh, he wanted to eradicate this king, this pretender to the throne. Herod did not believe in the prophecies in the Bible at all. But I want us to stop and think about the wise men for a minute. It had been two years since they had seen the star. You know, I know all the pictures, and we go go through this. I hope you don't mind hearing it again. The wise men didn't show up until two years after Jesus was born. In fact, if we study our Bible correctly, Jesus was born... Eight days later, they went to the temple in Jerusalem. He was named, circumcised. That's when Anna and Simeon saw him. And then it would be, uh, then they went back to Nazareth and came back to Bethlehem and were there for the next two years until the wise men came. And then they went back down into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod. But where in the world would these guys get faith? They were not necessarily Jewish people by any chance. They came from the east. That was not a Jewish place. Faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, I would like you to uh, turn with me, if you would, to in your Bible to the book of Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, chapter 24. Now, who knows who was talking in Numbers 24? How many of you are familiar with Balaam? The one that tried to prophesy for hire. And Balaam, in one of his prophecies, is speaking here in the book of Numbers... Chapter 24, verse 17, it says, I see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy the children of Sheth. I look through, that's the only star reference that I can find that deals anything with the Messiah. Now, as we read in the book of Jude, Balaam was not a nice guy. He, he had served God for a while, and then when he had the opportunity to make himself rich, he chose that rather than God. And yet, here's Balaam's prophecy. How many of you are familiar with this verse before I pointed it out to you this morning? I don't see many hands going up. How many of you read the book of Numbers? Here's the point I'm trying to make. These wise men here studied. They studied the stars in the heaven. And so when this new star appeared, they knew something was happening. And then... And I don't believe that their their study was limited just to the Word of God, but 
apparently they were familiar enough or searching with the Bible enough to find this reference in Moses' law. There's another connection that could possibly have been made, and that's through the prophecies of Daniel. Daniel was in Babylon, and he had been there, and possibly that's the Jewish communities is where copies of Moses' law and other things had been there. All I want to do is, I can't tell you the exact connection here, But we have a verse in the law of God that spoke of a star. We know the primary fulfillment of this prophecy was David. Because David rose out of Judah and he smote the corners of Moab. That's who uh, Balaam was talking about here as he was prophesying. But I want to make another connection. The Messiah is called the son of David, is he not? You see, we think because we come to church and listen to the preacher study the Word of God that we've studied the Word of God. Could could I challenge you that God wants you to study His book on your own? You see, this is one of the great things that happened in the Dark Ages was the church passed an edict that no one could study the Bible except the church and you had to come and and you had to listen to what the church said, and if you believed anything else, uh, bad things happened to you. Burn at the stake, tortured. Uh, God forbid that you should want to have a copy of the Bible in your own language that you could read and study for yourself. And yet, is that not the essence of true Christianity? You should not be here today just because someone, your father or uh, your mother or or your grandmother or something said, well, we're Baptists, we've always been Baptists, and you need to go to a Baptist church. I hope you have a better reason than that this morning. I hope it's because you've opened the pages of this book and studied for yourself. And have convinced yourself that what the Bible teaches is true. I remember as a student in Bible college, we... We had some really terrible things going on at the Bible college at that time. Uh, People were trying to move the college from where it stood and change the doctrine upon which the college had taught. And and they got it done. I would not even recognize the place today. Uh, As I told one other pastor, I said, I wouldn't send my dog to the Bible college. I went, and I don't even have a dog. Amen. Uh, because I, they've changed things. And I watched many students get up and as those things were being challenged in the classrooms, they'd say, well, my pastor says, and the professor would say, well, that's not a very good reason. Who is your pastor? And I watched them turn the faith over of some of these students because the only thing they believed was what they were taught because of who taught them. And I prayed as a student in Bible college that when we had a church, if God ever gave me a church, the people in that church would study the Bible on their own and understand the reasons why we believe what we believe. Could we say amen to that? You see, Zacharias and Elizabeth had faith just to live the way the Bible said when no one else was doing it. I cannot make all the connections, not trying to make all the connections, but the only ones I can find, I have brought forth, there's one verse in the law that says a star is going to arise out of Jacob. That's a far-fetched thing, but... I'll tell you what, it's the only connection I can make. You know how much study you would have to do of the law to know that verse well enough that when you saw the star, you could make the connection? Uh, And I believe the Holy Spirit of God had a little bit going on here. He's the main facilitator of all of those things. But 
Could I challenge you, as, as we look at this Christmas time and the Christmas story and review these things, that number one, you'd ask God to give you the faith to live the Bible way in spite of the wicked world in which you live. And number two, that you would ask God to give you faith to do more than just read this book, but to study it and apply it and learn how to understand what the Bible says and how it should apply to your life. Can we say amen to that? And we got just one more. Let's go to Luke chapter 2 again. Luke chapter 2. And we're just picking up the ancillary uh, figures here, the ones that are on the outside of the story. Lord willing, next week we'll talk about Mary, Joseph's faith, and the shepherds, and people that were there on that night. But we come down here to, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And it says, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of total doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, this Simeon fellow was very unusual. You say, well, the Lord has revealed unto me. No, the Lord hasn't revealed unto you anything other than what's written down, my friend. You, you've got to understand that. Uh, Simeon did not have the New Testament. He did not have the things that we have today. And so God had revealed to him that in his lifetime that he would actually see with his own eyes the Messiah. And when Mary and Joseph came in, and by the way, they were offering the least of all sacrifices that were acceptable, which tells us that their financial state was not exceptionally good. And they offered the least sacrifice there, and Simeon came on, came over and scooped that little baby out of Mary's arms and said, I've seen Christ's redemption. How much faith would it take to look at a little baby and believe that he's the Savior of the world? Tell you what, that'd take a lot of faith. But the reason he had it was because he had spent his whole life studying and praying and in the temple. And then we have another unusual person show up, Anna. The Bible tells us that she was a widow for 84 years, that she had been married for seven years. Well, that was 91 years from the time she was married. So if she was married at 16... Do, do the math. Uh, she was very old. If she was married even younger, as some may say, but it wouldn't be much younger than that. Here we have two people. Verse 36, And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. This is probably the toughest faith of all. 
They had faith to wait. They were just doing what they were supposed to be doing. Eighty-four years, Anna had lived in the temple complex doing nothing but praying, fasting, worshiping God. Simeon had lived his whole life, and he was there in the temple under the direction. They had faith to wait. How many of you have ever been frustrated with God's time clock in your life? Well, only if you're trying to do something. Amen? You see, as we look at these individuals here, just trying to put this into a context here, an application for you and I today. Zacharias and Elizabeth had faith to live righteously in a wicked day. How many of us could use a little encouragement in that area in our life? It's just to live for God when everybody around us, even the priest, were not living for God. He did. His wife did. And God brought the And by the way, his faith was not exemplary for when God sent him an angel to tell him, he didn't believe him. But God still did what he said he was going to do. He still answered those prayers. And we have John the Baptist and his testimony to thank today. For Zechariah's and Elizabeth's faith just to live. We have the story of the wise men. Oh, the imagination that has gone into the story of the wise men. All of the things that were made up about the wise men. If you'll remember this, this was really true about the wise men. They studied everything. They studied so they could learn and understand. They weren't just out there gathering knowledge. They weren't professional students just so they could get degrees after their names. When that star appeared, they were able to put the pieces of the puzzle together and travel to Jerusalem. No one else did. You know what? God God wants us not to be just ignorant people. He wants us to understand His Word and how it applies in our life and to have real Bible answers. How many religious people do you know? Outside our church, of course, or a church like this, they can pick up a Bible and turn to a verse and say, here's the answer for this problem in your life. Do you know God expects that out of you? That's why he gave us this book. Amen? And if we can be challenged by anything, if God could teach the wise men what they needed to know to travel to Bethlehem and, and, and worship the, the newborn Christ, uh, he was probably about two years old, a little baby. Could he not give you and I the answers we need to live? Amen? And there's a verse in, in, in Hebrews, and we'll end with this this morning. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 36, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Let me read that one more time. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Does that shed any light? on the lives of Anna and Simeon? Uh, I believe it does. Uh, I believe that's one of the connections the Holy Spirit wants us to make. Eighty-four years. Well, I'm glad God hasn't asked me to wait that long. Amen? 
he wants us to use our lives to serve him. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. But he doesn't want us just putting white robes and wandering the Alps or waiting for Jesus to come back. He wants us to use the other meaning of that word. When you go to a restaurant, you have a waiter. And if that waiter is good, he makes your eating experience at that restaurant a wonderful thing. If he's bad... He can completely ruin everything. Leave the food till it's cold. Come back. Or the, my least favorite one is the, the waiter that wants to, thinks that you've invited him out to eat with you. And, and he wants to talk to you about everything under the sun. And I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here with my wife. I didn't come talk to you. I, I came talk to her. Would you mind? You know, you, you want to do that sometimes. And it's just the way we serve the Lord sometimes is just like those waiters, is it not? We're getting in the way trying to tell God what to do. Or we're ignoring what we're supposed to do until it's too late to get the job done. Timing is very important in serving God. And He will have you in the right place at the right time. If you're patiently waiting for him to come back. I, I, I don't know about you, but I, uh, as a pastor, I have to study. So that, that one's not too hard for me. Uh, uh, trying to live righteously. I, that, 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 but this waiting thing is a little tough sometimes. How about you? But you have to have faith. have to have faith to live, faith to study, faith to wait. And every one of these people were rewarded by God for being faithful. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And we look at the lives of these people who lived what we call the Christmas story in its outer portions. And Lord, we just ask that as we've looked at their lives today, you would help us to see these things and other things that we need. Lord, I'm so glad that your word is not limited to, to the words that I choose, but the Holy Spirit has freedom to minister that word to our hearts and our lives in many different ways. Lord, we ask that you would give us faith. Faith like Zacharias and Elizabeth. Faith like the wise men. Faith like Simeon and Anna. Faith that we may bring glory to your name. That we may receive the promises that are in your word. Lord, we ask that you would work in this time of invitation. If there be someone here that has yet to receive you as their Savior, that today they would surrender to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we sing the hymn of invitation, if you need to come and pray, the altar's open.